Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Now, in the spotlight, President Emmanuel Macron, who has become the first sitting French president in 20 years to be re-elected. Well, the centrist leader told a jubilant supporters that he will be a president for all over his next five-year term. 58.6% of the votes so far from Monsieur Macron won by a greater mar- margin than expected over his rival Marine Le Pen at 41.5%. But the showing was um, not too bad from uh, Madame Le Pen because she also managed to secure the far right's highest share of the vote yet. So how do we, how should we be reading mm-hmm. into the numbers? We have Pete Ross, BBC's reporter and presenter, joining us on the line now to share more. Good morning, Pete. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on. All right, Pete, let's uh, put Mr. Macron in focus for now. He has won more, uh, five more years as uh, the president of France. After that convincing victory, we thought Marine Le Pen was, was going to get very close. But anyway, how, what does this vote mean for France moving forward and for Europe as a whole? Well, the first thing to say is I think you're absolutely right. You know, in many aspects, this is a huge achievement for President Macron. You've just mentioned the margin of victory. And and as you you said, it was greater than expected. If you've been paying close attention to the polls, particularly in the last couple of weeks, some would suggest that Marine Le Pen had a good chance of winning. And of course, given the margin of victory, that's clearly not been the case. The other thing to say is that that French presidents rarely, if ever, get reselected for a second term. Yes, you could say that presidents have retained the Elysee before, uh, notably the last time Jacques Chirac in 2002. However, uh, he was seen by many as effectively in opposition because he'd lost control of the legislative arm. So this, in some respects, is, is a very big achievement for President Macron. However... There are two ways to look at this result. And as you've said, this is a big victory, um, not just for Macron, but for the far right. Because if you look at those figures, more than 40% of the people who voted voted for Marine Le Pen, who is a far right candidate. She said many, many times that she's you know, anti-EU and she's seen as an ally of President Putin in Russia. Mm. So on one hand, as we said, this is a clear victory for Macron, but it is the biggest ever score, I think you mentioned that earlier, by the nationalist camp. So you combine that with the rate of abstinations, mm. the turnout was the lowest it's been in over 50 years. What you've got in France is the impression of a country still divided on and unhappy. Now Macron in President Macron, in his victory speech last night, promised to unify the country. That remains to be seen if he can do that, and we'll have the first indication of that in uh, parliamentary elections coming up in June, which of course will be strongly contested, not by just those on the right with Marine Mm. Le Pen, but also those on the left as well. Mm. Are you you expecting any sort of surprises in the parliamentary elections coming up? Would you see, do do you see voters trying to balance that, you know, uh, between the the two sides? I mean, I think that's effectively what's going on. First, the first thing to say is that, that, that close watchers of, of, of French politics would say that, you know, Macron is, is almost his worst enemy in some ways in, in the way that he's gained victory. You know, he now dominates the centre of French politics, mm. which means that if you're on the left, you're on the right, you're pushed to the extremities. But what that does mean is that that's meaning that if, if you're on the left or you're right, you know, you want some of those policies from that part of the spectrum, you're having to go for more extreme candidates. Um, and again, as I said, you know, it is a divided country. Mm. Um, and, you know, 
there are more important... Well, to some people, the war in Ukraine is the biggest issue going on. Mm. To others, it's the cost of living. This, this phrase, mm. this expression, we're seeing mm. more and more often. So it remains to be seen how it plays out. What I would mm. say is that supporters of the European Union collectively are breathing a huge sigh of relief this morning. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> because if Marine Le Pen had got to power, mm-hmm. you know, again, as I mm. said, ally of President Putin that could have had very big ramifications indeed. But it's not over yet. Now, picking up on uh, what you were talking about with Marine Le Pen securing a high share of votes for the, 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 the right of the political spectrum, what does that say, though, about the people in France right now, uh, about their dissatisfaction, perhaps, with the way with the status quo? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it says, as I said, that there, there are many issues at play here. You know, mm. uh, Le, Le Pen has softened some of her far-right tendencies, mm-hmm. some mm. commentators would say, less about kicking immigrants out, more about, you know, appealing to, to voters that feel like they've been left behind, whether mm. that's on the left or the right, because mm-hmm. they don't have a candidate that speaks to them. So, again, issues like... Um, the cost of living, you know, our energy bills are going up. The, f- the price mm. of food is going up. How everyday people lead their lives, it's becoming more and more financially difficult. So that's mm. a very big issue for many voters in France. However, mm. on the other side of that, we've obviously got this war, the invasion of Russia, the war in Ukraine going on. That's a big issue for many people as well. So it's balancing mm. that out, isn't it? I think a lot of voters in France... Uh, you know, looking by the margin of victory that Macron, President Macron achieved, you know, many of them probably held their nose and voted, you know, not for Macron, but mm. for the opposite of mm. what could have come in instead. Mm. But you, you mentioned quite a few times about the cost of living, cost of food and energy. Mm. And, well, the, the war in Ukraine is just one albeit a huge development that's affecting that. The other the other would be what's going on in China, right? Um, if we can move sure. gears a little, we look at what's happening in China. As restrictions are easing in many countries, in Singapore as well, right? China is continuing with its zero COVID strategy. We've seen Shanghai lockdown, much of Shanghai lockdown for, for four, almost four weeks now, right? And now we're seeing the similar going on perhaps in the capital, Beijing. So... <laughs> You know, yeah. what's your interpretation of what's happening there? I mean, I think you've queued you, that up perfectly. I mean, as the rest of the world seems to be opening up, I mean, this morning I was reading the paper on the, on the tube into central London. The Rio Carnival's coming back for the first time into, you know, since the beginning mm. of the pandemic. If you think of that, hundreds of thousands of people all mingling together like that. You go to the other side of the world, you go to New Zealand, which had, apart from China, some of the strictest measures keeping people out of the country. As far as I'm uh, aware, they're completely opening up mm-hmm. uh, this week as well. You're no longer going to mm. have... If you fly into the country from anywhere from most countries in the world you no longer have to quarantine so this expression that we're beginning to hear and certainly i can see it here in london learning to live with covid china is taking you know a diametric opposite the complete Mm. opposite path by you know not just pursuing its very strict zero covid policy but by doubling down on it so you mentioned shanghai that's a city of 25 million people it's China's biggest city and its financial hub. And Mm. I think it's now just entering, you said four weeks, it's just entering its fifth week of lockdown. 25 million people not allowed to leave their home. You know, when we had a lockdown, I don't know what it was like there in Singapore, but when we had a lockdown in the UK, you could go out for exercise. You could go Mm. out to the shop Mm. to buy some food. That's not the case in Mm. Shanghai. And Mm -hmm. not only that, 
They're making measures stricter. And one thing just to say quickly on this, I think we're all pretty aware that, 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 that large-scale public dissent, displays of public dissent, if they're you know, dissatisfied mm-hmm. with the government, doesn't happen very often in China. Mm-hmm. But the situation is such in Shanghai that we're beginning to see videos appear on online, on social media, mm. of, of people complaining, pushing back, going, you know, we're running out of food, we're running out of medicine, you know, we cannot go on like this. And mm. the other thing to think of, which you've already mentioned, this is, you know, they've had five weeks of trying to stamp it out. It's mm. now beginning to, you know, infections are now beginning to spike in Beijing. And if you think mm. about that, if Shanghai and Beijing are in exactly. you know, total lockdown, what does that leave for that policy in mm, China? Mm. And if this were to continue, what would be the impact, you think, you know, on, on the rest of the world? We have war in Ukraine and now we have a potential China. Uh, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg potentially right now. It is. I mean, I, I, mean, I think it would, it would say a lot about how the world, you know, at the moment, we don't know who's right. Do we? We don't know if it was right, you know, if China's right to completely try and stamp this out or like a lot of the rest of the world there in Singapore, here in the UK, if we should, you know, this expression, learn to live with COVID. I mean, if, if you think about if I can talk about where I'm talking to you today, you know, um, traveling in on the tube to central London this morning, virtually no one had a mask on. Wow. You know, no one's wearing masks in shops anymore. Um, uh, yet, if you look at the figures, and I, and I jotted them up over the weekend, um, 600, over 600 people died in this country mm. on Friday of COVID-related illness. Now, that's a death rate, a daily death rate, as high as mm. it's ever been. Yet, on the other hand, you know, no masks, and we're all going out and about, you know, we're being told to get, come back into the office and to get on with it. But that doesn't exactly match up with what we're seeing with the number of people in hospitals and, you know, the, the, the death rates. Moving on, uh, Pete, by the way, we're talking to Pete Ross, a presenter at the BBC with interna- about international headlines uh, this week that we need to pay attention to. Tomorrow is uh, the 36th anniversary of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster as well. And uh, this is, uh, you know, particularly important and significant this year after Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine. Can you tell us what is happening, what's expected to happen and how this uh uh, will be played out for the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we can say is whatever, however it's commemorated um, this coming week, April 26, so tomorrow, um, will be in stark contrast to last year, which was the 35th anniversary. Of course, the war hadn't mm. happened then, mm. and there were many visiting dignitaries um, paying their respects and commemorating what is, as you've described, the world's worst nuclear disaster. Um, flash forward uh, one year, and it's safe to say that, that dignitaries won't be flying in. But one man mm-hmm. who will be flying in is the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Grossi. Himself and a team will be moving in to assess just what risk is posed by that site. You'll remember that one of the very first areas that Russia gained control of when it launched that invasion, when it launched its war, um, was Chernobyl. Now, the Russians have since retreated, have since left that area. It's back under Ukrainian hands. But there's lots of concerns about what the Russian military, what Russian troops were doing, and whether they were being safe or not since there. Um, You know, uh, stories of trenches being dug, and and that, of course, leads to the potential of nuclear waste or, or... things attached to clothes and boots being taken out and taken elsewhere. So, yeah, we're going to have the IEAA flying in 
uh, this week, tomorrow, in fact, to assess the situation. We'll just have to wait and see what they've got to say. All right, uh, Pete, thank you very much for keeping us up to date with what's happening uh, there in Europe. Pete Ross, and here in Asia as well, Pete Ross is a presenter from the BBC joining us here on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.